Can you believe it? It's 2019. No, I, I really can't actually. That's it, right? Yeah. Um, so, so what better way just to kick off this uh, 2019 than with our slightly, okay, maybe more than slightly tipsy episode in Philly with Rob Castle? What do you I think? Mean, I think it's a good way to start the new year. It's also, you know, friends, camaraderie, what we do best, getting hammered in a bar, <laughs> uh, talking history. Uh, Philly was a good time. It like, was. It really was. We and actually sounded kind of smart. Well, Rob, Rob, made us, Rob made us sound smart. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Yeah. When you well, have that many degrees, a PhD, a master's, and some kind of distilling degree, whatever, dude. He can even make us seem smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I changed from my normal, like, what? To, oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, it was, that was so much fun, though. I mean, how could it be? It was like you, me, Rob, Philly, and tons of alcohol. <laughs> it's true. So it was speak- a tricky train ride. It was. We stayed awake, though. Ish. I say it like ish. <laughs> Nobody should be drinking that much wine on a train. I'm not really sure what happens. And it's not very good wine I mean, either. I know exactly what happened, Neil. Exactly what happened. <laughs> Welcome to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas. And with me, as always, is my very talented friend. And as long as she is my John Adams... I will always be her Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, I have no idea what that really means. <laughs> uh, I think I'll be in trouble for this episode, but I'm into it. <laughs> so uh, speaking of John Adams and uh, Thomas Jefferson, Gina, did you actually know they were out of town on business during the signing of the Constitution? They weren't even there. Have you met the government in the United States? <laughs> Most of them are there. It seems a little bit fitting based on what's happening today. That's true. Um, so, um, and uh, is it impeachment day? That'd be great. Oh, we're not going to go that stuff. Sorry. Bum bum. Um, so, uh, if you guys did know, yes, we are in Philadelphia. We are here. And where are we, Gina? We're at the Hotel Bellevue. And we're at the 19th club 19th, i think it's the 19th Bob? club or 19th, floor yeah something or it doesn't matter we're, we're the, fireside we're at the we are fireside it's actually really lovely it is uh we're at the birthplace of the clover club cocktail so speaking of firsts that kind of pushes me off into the next space i want to talk about so um so did you know that philly it, it's known as a city of firsts um um first off it was um the first city to host america's first birthday Love. Well, first, 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 right? Um, you can tell we've been drinking today. And uh, <laughs> which is also is um, the place for the first country's newspaper. Oh, what was it called? It was um, the Philadelphia Packet and the Daily Advertiser. Nah, and it was uh, 1784. Oh, you didn't think I was going to... How much did it cost? Two pence. I don't know. Nice. And the city is the city is also home of did America's. Did you say pence? I did. <laughs> Designated drinker. Okay. So, in. so the city is currency. Currency is a show in. I don't know. It wasn't red coat country. Clearly. <laughs> I don't know. Do it. So the city is also home of America's first um, zoo. And the first hospital, which actually makes sense that they were also the first uh, national uh, or first place for uh, a medical school in the U.S. Hmm. So speaking of firsts. Wait, didn't Philadelphia also have like the first root beer? It's true. Yeah. Yeah, birch beer. Yeah. Not root beer. Okay, so that leads us to today's designated drinker. So uh, speaking of first, so he is, um, so let's welcome not just Philadelphia's, but Pennsylvania's 
first craft distiller since Prohibition, master distiller and co-founder of New Liberty Distillery, Rob Kessel. How you doing? Good. Wait a second, I want to get back to this weird John Adams Jefferson <laughs> thing you guys said there. Like, you know, I, I like have, having these visuals of watching that HBO John Adam, Adams series. John and I'm like, I'm like picturing you guys writing each other like bitter notes back and forth on a deathbed. Like, you know, because you know, Which both is, of them died in the same day, right? Oh, I think they go- did. I think well, they both died in the same Louise, day. Well, I am Louise. You could be my Thelma. Hold on. <laughs> that sounds way better. See? See? 100%. I told you. Leading into this, that Rob will correct you and make this better. Well, so good. Thank Wait, you. Yes. We are ready to watch the show. Seriously, I, 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 I think that they are. Uh, we shut our phones off. I was yes. going to say, I was like, I think that they died both on the 4th of July. Perfect. So they died right? on the 4th of July. Right? Wasn't are it? you sure? Is that just like HBO's maybe, taking some liberties maybe it was, on But let's history. just go with it. Let's, uh, it yeah, yeah. It's true today. Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you name a cocktail that? <laughs> died on the 4th of July. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I will take first beer, murder it, put it on the 4th of July. <laughs> Garnish it with sizzled steak. <laughs> so we just die of a heart attack? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um,. So now that we this show is just coming already, which is great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> Tell us a little bit what you're doing. Tell, actually, let's jump back. Tell us how you got into and how did you become a distiller? So I actually originally went to college at a school called Wheeling Jesuit University in Wheeling, West Virginia. Mm. And I was a nuclear medicine major. That makes sense. Because you wanted to Not at all. cure disease on different planets. <laughs> <laughs> No. What does that yeah. mean? For well, the normal person, Bob. So, so it's it's okay. Everyone's had like done something where you've had to get like an MRI, right? Sure. Yeah. So that is technically in the nuclear medicine department. Yes. Oh. Yeah. So it's like PET scans, CAT scans, MRIs, things like that. Um, and you're, you know, basically just using radioactive isotopes to take pictures of the body. Wow. So tell okay, this is completely sidebar and this is just curiosity. Come on. What let's pushed real. you down Wait, that sidebar space? conversations never happen with Gina. Let's get this straight. That's true. Right They're now. all sidebar. True. <laughs> They're all That's all yeah. on camera. Tell me what made you what what pushed you in that space? Um, okay, that's even a harder question. I'm not sure. Um, I think it was something that like originally at the time I was going to originally try to become a physical therapist. Oh. And I picked like a, a different undergrad major. Um, so instead of that I went in a totally bizarro opposite direction. I shouldn't say bizarro. Um, I ended up getting a part-time job my it was a junior year of college at a little brew pub. Um, I cleaned kegs, I scrubbed floors, I washed tanks, um, and it just exposed me to something that I'm like, wow, this was a different way of applying science and the satisfaction of making something. Oh, cool. Like One of my worst things I was in college was I loved lab. Oh, I hated book work. I had, I mean, going to regular class, I hated. I had this one chemistry professor. He was so pissed at me. I had I had an A minus at midterm, but I'd shown up to like three classes, right? But I I didn't, I didn't miss a single lab. Lab I was early. I stayed late. I loved lab. That's awesome. So I always like liked working that idea of like I work with my hands, produce something. That's what got me into brewing initially. Oh, that's cool. Um, so after college, I worked as a brewer, um, some small brew pubs, and then play a brewery harpoon up in new england and then i was a quality assurance director at victory no one's ever heard of harpoon or it's not yeah i mean seriously go ahead humble humble is the theme of this trip everybody (laughs) 
Oh, I worked at this place that nobody's ever heard of. Harpoon. <laughs> Whatever. Move on. Move on, Rob. So, all right. Tell a real small, story. Small boutique. Um, so but then... So then um, I I was the quality assurance director for Victory Brewing Company here in Pennsylvania. Um, another small boutique one Mary, like you're referring to. If you drink beer, you've never seen it. So, yeah. Or you've seen it everywhere. Jesus. Yes. So, but Jesus. it was Did good. Did you still Jesus? I did. Oh, there's no, neither <laughs> one of them made a beer name that. Let's get that straight right now. It would be Jesus. <laughs> it would be Jesus and it would that be was, like some Mexican lager. It only came out one, if it did, it only came out once a year. It was very special. Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. <laughs> truly came out in a chalice. <laughs> so, um, I did that, and then I had the interest in uh, distilling. There was a high school buddy of mine I was, like, talking with this about and had the idea of doing craft distilling on really on the simple observation of I was working as a craft brewer at the time, and you start looking at the back of labels, and you'd see the same couple of towns something would come from. Louisville, Kentucky, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, Norwalk, Connecticut. You saw the same thing over and over and over, and it really made me kind of like, scratch that a bit and say well why then finding that there were only a handful of licensed distilleries in the entire country let alone micro distilleries um so i started to put together this business plan with my friend and approached um, my uncle and then future business partner about the idea of saying like hey you know he had just gotten out of the cosmetics industry and i said hey i have another idea for a fun thing that we could do and it was the idea of micro distilling and in particular it was doing a, a gin and so um, you know, the interesting part about that little journey was whenever you're pitching, like, investors, the first question everybody asks is, okay, well, what's like, what can I compare it to? Because, you know, it's an investor. They want to be careful with their money. They're like, okay, what am smart I going to— investor. Yeah, yeah, what am I going to compare you against? And then when your answer is, well, there are none like that in the state or the area. Like, that's never a <laughs> closing thing for getting an angel investor. Ever. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you're going to lose your money, yeah. but let's do it. Yeah, that's like you throw the flag. <laughs> um, and so that was the, the interesting part is where we looked at it and we're like, okay, well, there's not much to compare against. You know, flash forward 12 years later, I had a guy a couple years ago. I've actually had this now multiple times. People meet me and they go, oh, it's so great to meet you. You know, like, uh, I have your other stuff in my business plan. And I'm thinking to myself, you fucker. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, you're lucky. (laughs) Um, Do they know what it's like to be starving? I don't think they understand that. I I think sometimes on this journey, like, people are like, oh, oh. Your business model, that's perfect, you know, craft distiller. And when you came up with that, it was, you know, that you had all this money and you didn't. Um, and we had no money and we had no food. And sometimes you get stranded in Philadelphia because you had no money to take the train <laughs> yes. or a bus back because yes. there was no money. Yes. I mean, literally. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I can remember. It was a struggle. I mean, you struggled to get to where you are. So someone to say that, fuck you. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was really funny. So the first, um, I remember the first couple of bottlings of uh, Blue Coat we had. I sat by myself in a warehouse and I listened to a ton of sports radio that week because I sat by myself with just the radio. He still listens to sports radio. I do. I do. <laughs> I, He's I, a fucking grandpa, everybody. I do. I love. I also love the news in the newspaper. Yes. It's my thing. Yeah. Tech time. Like, my, my greatest time is like on a Sunday morning if I'm up first and I have my coffee and I read. I read it on the app though now. Okay? Oh, look at so, you. So, you know, I'm not that old man. 
You're not getting ink on your fingers anymore. No, I just, you know, swipe. But I'll, I'll, I'll read like three days worth of newspapers with my coffee and be thrilled. <laughs> yeah. 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 See, this is the reason why, like, when you, like, when we meet people, I'm like, oh, let's go see these people. Oh, I love. Wait, 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 actually, you'll get a kick out of this, you know. So Jessica, you know, when she'll, my girlfriend Jessica, you know, she'll wake up and she's in that like sleepy Sunday. Let's go to the farmers market mode, and I just keep, I'll randomly throw out like weird, odd factoids of what I had just read. And I'll be like, oh, hey, you know, so I just read this thing about a. Uh, technology coming out that does this thing or this car or have you heard about this political issue happening in Venezuela like <laughs> and she just looks at me like dork what <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to she's buy like, some fucking turnips to make soup too yeah, yeah, yeah. she's yeah, like yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah. had coffee much less vodka yeah 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 <laughs> I need a good bloody so um anyway I don't know where, where I left off where I went down that <laughs> I think I started on, you said, like, how did I get into this? And all of a sudden, yeah. I'm talking about, like, Sunday in the newspaper. Yes. Um, so, anyway, it was, uh, oh, I know where it went Sports from that. Radio. Sports radio. Sports radio by myself in the warehouse. Yeah. So. Um, and we're back. And we're back. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have another step in my Clover Club, because that's where I was invented. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I think that the inventor should come back, because that would be awesome. And I think this is great, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Good. So, you're in the distillery. Yeah, so in the distillery, it was bottling stuff off. Um, and honestly, it was a crazy thing. I mean, we were just sitting there, and everything was super by hand. Uh, you know, extremely by hand. Yeah. Um, doing things <laughs> was Uber being a first, yeah. you know, to a part where it was uh, a disadvantage. Yeah. You know, so early on, I started reaching out to legislators and saying, hey, you know, how comes a distillery can't do the same thing that breweries and wineries can do in Pennsylvania. So I started, back in 2006, I started lobbying the state legislature for about five, six years under two uh, governors and passed a piece of legislation that created this limited distillery license in Pennsylvania. Wow. And at the time, it became a watershed legislation for not only Pennsylvania, but it was the first to set a standard in the nation with a number of other regulatory things. Believe it or not, here in Pennsylvania, you could actually, as a distillery, sell your product on site your distillery before one could in California. Really? And I, because he passed it. Yeah. <laughs> and I throw that out because normally, like, you always think of, like, everything in the West Coast is the more progressive and is coming back. So Pennsylvania, first on that. You know, we're able to sell our stuff at farmer's markets. We have five retail locations we can do anywhere in the state. We can sell stuff on site. We can sell even Pennsylvania-made beer and wine at our distillery. It's awesome. You know, we can do cocktails there. You know, so it's, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that's been thrown out to do this. And even the limit, so to speak, of what it is of 100,000 gallons in Pennsylvania um, is a relatively high number, you know, when you look at it. But the idea of it was always looking towards the future. You know, I look back and coming from the brewing segment saying how many times you saw the brewers over the years have to go back to the well and say, you know what, we need more, we need more, we need more. So I looked at that number and said, not only is this like what's a seemingly high number, if you look at it and say, well, this is something that you can have a successful business with in the regular, you know, wholesale distribution business. Um, you can have sustainability with and still have room for growth, not suddenly be up against the wall. Yeah. You know, and so the number, as it seems like this arbitrary number, has a reason for being. You know, you look at and say like, okay, what the revenues even are, they're going to come from uh, that type of volume. Okay, you're a sustainable business. Yeah. You know, 
So um, it was cool to see then the licenses in Pennsylvania go from three um, to 104 this past year. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, and so the, actually the really, Gina, I don't know if I told you this or not, the cool part was is, um, was it earlier this year I actually had to uh, testify before the House Liquor Committee um, for Pennsylvania House of Representatives again this year, and they ch- chose this random date, and it was perfect. Because then it was like, I'm like, oh, okay, I know exactly what my opening line is going to be for my testimony. And it was like, hey, five years before on this exact date, I came before you and said that if you pass this piece of legislation, this groundswell of new upstart businesses will happen in your state. You don't have to spend money. You don't have to give financial assistance. Just allow it to happen. And so it was great to be able to sit there and be like, oh, and by the way, there's 104 now. You know, so it was like a perfect way to open up a testimony. Was yeah. anybody still on the board when you were there, though? So you went in, you testified. Was there still people, like members, that like heard your first like plea, basically? There, there were a few. There was one guy I actually remember, Paul Costa, out of Pittsburgh, and I made this comment in my testimony, and he just, he just like looked at me and gave me like a smile and a grin, and I was like, yeah, thanks, Paul. <laughs> so it's cool. You're a relative. I mean, you're a young man. I mean, it's not like. I mean, if you guys don't know who Rob is or whatever, he's young. I mean, he's a young man who had a vision. And, like, like everybody says, like, what's a vision? You know, what does a vision do? You know, you have to believe in your vision. You have to, like, suffer for your vision. You have to appeal for your vision. You have to do all these things. And, like, to be a true visionary, you know, people say, oh, they use the word, like, I'm a visionary. But you have to, like, really protest and suffer and plea and make your vision something when it comes to especially government a real thing because this isn't like hey guy i want to want to have everybody like distill some stuff into my state no it doesn't work like that it starts very like you know grassroots you start talking to somebody then you write it then they, they deny it and then you write it again deny and then you write it again and you appeal and then finally you get to the appeal process which you're making seem similar like so easy there is a lot to say be said that Rob, and I call him Rob because he's a dear friend, really put his heart and effort into making a, a, a world for people that like wanted to be in the beverage world, that wanted to be in the third leg of the the, the liquor industry or the um, spirit industry. So having your beer and your wine and your liquor needed that other thing to complete the stool that boosts you up on your bar and puts you on your pedestal, right? So like people like Rob make it so that other people across the country become what they want to be. And like your story, you're telling it, you know, I'm telling it with more, like a little bit more fight because like you suffered to do it. Rob didn't like have like, he didn't live in a mansion, everybody. And he (laughs) definitely didn't drive a nice car because I've been in it. And... I also helped him move because there was no money to help you move. Wait, wait. Actually, the best part is so helping me move. Wait, Gina, stop, I can remember. What did you drive? Oh, it's a Yaris. It's old Yaris. It had like actually when I just a few weeks ago I got rid of it and it only had one hubcap left. <laughs> Good God! I did take all of the golf clubs out. Yeah, I was definitely doing How a many trunk sets transfer. Were in there? there was Two like no, 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 no. It was one and a half. Yeah, yeah. The other one is actually down in a different spot. That's my dad's garage now. <laughs> but so the um, well, what Gina was saying, I was like, you know, sometimes I hear some people talk about like, oh, we need to do this effort in our state, and we need to raise all these membership dues to do this like lobbying effort. 
you know, I did mine while like, you know, sitting next to a mash vessel or a still with hands free in and an old school printed out list of every single, every single senator and representative in the state of Pennsylvania. And I called, I called, I emailed, I called, I emailed, I met, like I would dovetail in meeting some person at their district office, you know, in the first part of the morning when I was at a different section of the market doing a cold call for sales because, you know, at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock in the morning, a liquor store doesn't really have any business of selling. Nobody's buying premium products well, at 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, or they're not open. So I can meet with one of those people. Yeah. Then I go in and I visit the liquor store. But then during the lunch, during lunch, you know, nobody at the liquor store or a restaurant or bar wants to talk to you because they're trying to make money. Yeah. So again, like, hey, I'll take a lunch meeting. So it just packed my day with all kinds of shit. Um, and yeah, I didn't really spend much money. I think what that speaks to is the passion behind um, behind what you do and how important when you to be as successful at something, especially when there is no groundwork and you are a pioneer, you are breaking through, how important it is, I mean, to stay true to it. If you didn't love it, sleep it, breathe it, sweat it, you would have never gotten there because the dedication it takes to stay on point for that and the amount of energy and effort, it has to come from a love. It has to come from a deeper, oh, you know, I just want to put some gin in a bottle and make some money. There is something greater driving that 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 force. It's well, way yeah. bigger than I that. I mean, now, like, it's the it, – with so many other people that are my peers, like, here in Pennsylvania, the nice part is, is now – we can start to do things that are larger collectives. Like another perfect example, um, the Pennsylvania Distillers Guild earlier this year became the first time in United States history that a group of distillers had their own health care plan. Stop a second. You mean the Pennsylvania Distillers Guild that you put together? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that didn't exist. Yeah. Keep going. Oh, yeah. now yeah. Yeah. what did you guys do? Oh, and now he took all those people that believed in his crazy and now gave them health care. Yeah. Because well, why, Rob, did you believe in healthcare? Well, it, here's the thing is like as a small business owner, regardless of what the industry is, it's a need you have. I needed it. Everybody else needs it. Even when you're bringing in the type of employees that like that you value and you like and you want to keep, you know, those are basic needs, yeah. you know, but looking at it individually, is extremely hard to do. But as a collective, we could really pool together and have something that benefited all of us. You know, another part of that is our guild has a a 10-year program and vision for saying, okay, we're going to stitch together working with the Pennsylvania Sustainable Agriculture on being able to have at least one person, even if it's a greenhouse, that grows something to be able to make every type of distilled spirit you see sold in the stores. So that way, 10 years from now, if somebody's like, hey, you know what? I have this crazy esoteric liqueur I want to make. Instead of having to wait for something from like a seed bank, there's somebody in a greenhouse or somebody on a farm that has a small amount of it that they can do a proof of concept or they can scale up and do all oh, of those elements. Cool. You know, really so cool. those are those things that are looking like way down the path to say like, okay, let's put those things out now. Yeah. So yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. So who did when you when you built the guild and obviously that's thinking large, very large. How did you cast that net? How did you figure that out? I mean, like, what would, what did that landscape look like? Actually, we had an interesting, uh, I want to say, problem with the guild in that the legislation passed before we had the guild. So you had the best legislation in the country for a micro distillery, but yet you, um, you already had the guild in existence. 
you know oh. so what were you going to complain about what were you going to do yeah you know um so really the nice part that being able to do this program was working with you know other colleagues that had um were started some of the other early distilleries in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, Mark, My- Mark Meyer added uh, Wiggle and Herman Mahalich added uh, Dad's Hat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the three of us are the, yeah, the three of us are the executives of the Pennsylvania Distillers Guild. Oh, cool. You know, and it's great because then, I mean, so many times then now we've started to get inquiries. People come in and they're looking for guidance. Like, hey, how do I get my product in the state source system? Well, you know, one of the great things we did we had the key head buyer at Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board show up for an hour and 45 minutes at one of our meetings last year, showed up with a 40-page PowerPoint of a how-to of everything, how they measure things, what they look for, what the timing is, Could what pricing is. Could you imagine if you had had that when you started? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying for that. I try, I try to tell Louise a little bit about what's like in a liquor store or looking at where they place your product. When your product's a baby and it's only like a year or two years old, and you're like trying to convince like the guy that owns, that runs the liquor store for the guy that owns it, and like, can you just move it to the gin aisle? Yeah. And they're like, no, this is some crap that people make. And you're like, no, no, it's a craft spirit. There's no such thing. It's craft beer, goes on aisle three, blah. And you're like, no, it's gin. Where does it say that? Right here. It says, this is American gin. No, no, not gonna move it. Thank you, Rob. That's all I have to say. If, I, if you're a distiller, you're in this country, you have a craft spirit, and you started a business, you have very, very few people to thank. Rob is definitely one of them. And you should find the other few that are in your state to thank because what they did for you 13 and 14 years ago is monumental in where you are now. It would be like saying, you know, don't thank Dale DeGraw for making the craft cocktail movement. You need to thank people like Rob. You need to thank people that really put their time and effort and and non-monies into it and their time. Like you say, oh, I did it for very little money, but Rob doesn't tell you that Rob barely ate. Yeah. <laughs> Rob barely had any money. Wait, wait, I had mac and cheese and hot dogs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I cleaned up the mac and cheese and hot dogs in your apartment, which was weird. <laughs> the pan was soaking. Okay, that's always my excuse. The pan was soaking. <laughs> Thank God we had chef friends because, like, that is how everybody ate. I'm not even joking. Like, like we had a bunch of chefs that, like, pitied us. And I was like, oh, you guys are, like, oh, you want to want something to eat? Uh, yes. Yes, I would love something to eat, Jen Carroll. Thank you so much. So how do you see today, then? Do you, I know that there are some struggles, and you know, especially in the beer industry, and, you know, we've had, um, um, Garrett from Maui Brewing on, who's the head of uh, BIA, correct? Um, and talks about the challenges of being able to keep those rights as brewers to be able to sell product on site. Um, and from what I understand, that that is a large portion of profit, which actually allows some of these small brewers to stay in business. Do you still do you see some of that, like in the distilling industry, like area? Do you still are you is do you still have to fight the fight? Uh, yeah, now we fight the fight more in uh, defense or in like other kind of smaller tactical areas. Um, you know, what he's referring to of the on-site sales, you know, I really look at and say, it's more a matter of how the business model has evolved. 
Because of the change of the legislation, legislation. I'm sorry. Because of the change of the legislative environment, you're seeing across state by state, in the United States, in craft distilling, you're seeing people able to do something you normally think of in the tech industry of doing a proof of concept. And the proof of concept is something that is focused around direct to consumer on-site sales. Yeah. You know, like and, Elon Musk. Yeah, it allows you to incubate. You know, for the yeah. first time in the distilling manufacturing side of the sector. So you can sit there and say, hey, you know what? I have a tasting room. We're open on weekends. We do cocktails. Hey, come have your wedding here. Yep. And you can only have to sell to three or four liquor stores to be available. But you can have a very sustainable and effective model that way. You know, by comparison, before then, you basically said, all right, I'm going to raise $3 million to burn 2.5. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what you did. Because going through a normal brand building three-tier distribution system takes time, effort, money, strategy. Time. Yeah. Time. Time. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Traveling markets that don't want to have you. No, wait. I got a Texas. Funny. Yes. How much time do you spend in Texas? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, a funny one is, you know, I, I have. Texas. I want to make sure everyone's clear. Yeah. Love it now. I do. They embrace blue coat. I they love do. that. They do. Yeah. I will say, so my... Um, my uh, Irish venture, Connick Whiskey. Yeah. One of my shareholders in New Jersey said to me one time. He goes, he goes, hey, um, you know, I why can't we get Concullen over in this other place? They have your old gin. And I'm like, you know, that took me like eight years to get that to happen, <laughs> right? Like we've been on the market for eight months. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, you brought it up. You brought it up. Let's talk about it. So you're no longer with Blue Coat, um, and now you have your own distillery. You have a new distillery. Can we talk about that? Yeah. I know. Let's talk about what yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, I uh, I left Philadelphia Steel and resigned as a managing partner, did a, you know, long-term uh, transition out. I did like a nine, ten-month transition um, because, you know, honestly, my business partner was my uncle, mm-hmm. you know, his family, you know, it's the person that at Thanksgiving and Christmas and holidays and weddings, you death. still have to sit, death, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you still see, and you love, and it's, you know person you grew up with you know Mm -hmm. so being respectful and cordial in that way and doing a a transition out but um you know i I did that and then i moved over and did a consulting for the uh, spirits company proximo and i built the new hangar one distillery in san francisco um alameda and uh towards the end of that time i started um two uh new whiskey companies one was new liberty distillery in philadelphia and then the other was the Connick Whiskey Company in County Mayo, Ireland. Um, New Liberty in Philly was fun in that we did two kind of core things. Picked up an old trademark t- for, called Kinsey Whiskey um, that back in its day, it was started in the 1870s on North 4th Street in Philly, um, only a few blocks from where we are. Back in a day when uh, a broker, a whiskey broker, would sell a bar an entire barrel of whiskey. That's the, crazy. Right? That's it. Yeah. But, you know, a bar would... They'd add prunes, they'd adulterate, they'd stretch it. You know. No, hold on. They would split it up. Yes. They would take the product and split it up. That's yeah. that's where the bartender came from. Yeah. Right? Okay, so go, go ahead. Yeah. And so this guy was like, hey, you know what? I have this thing and this product and I want to be able to say like it's intended to be this way. So we put his name on it. Yeah. You know, flash forward, you know, even post prohibition then. Um, the brand was actually so popular in the 40s and 50s, it had a permanent neon on Times Square. Yeah, that's so even, awesome. Even in an era of, like, social media and digital advertising, 
You still have to have no, a major you have to, ad campaign. You have, you have to have a major ad campaign, yeah. and you have to have some you crazy duckets. You have yeah. to be a massive brand to yeah. do that. And so yeah. Kinsey was there. Like if you look at pictures of VE Day in Times Square, the famous picture of like the sailor kissing the woman. Yep. If you look at that, not zoomed in, but zoomed out, and you see Kinsey Whiskey in the background on Times Square. Oh, that's cool. I'll have you to know? look next time. You look at, like, even, like, old, um, like, mob documentaries on Netflix, you know, and you'll see as they're going through and the, the lights through the middle of Times Square, and you see the Kinsey Neon. That's awesome. So it's this cool, great, iconic, huge brand of its era. Um, and it died off. Late 70s, early 80s, it died off. Um, and we had the opportunity to buy this Fucking trademark. Shots, Rob. Yeah. And Rob's killed whiskey shots killed not rob shots killed whiskey sorry i, I drank my entire drink it shows uh, ding hey barkeep <laughs> and so the cool yeah. part so the um you know we one of the things i look to do with that is i had a sample of kinsey whiskey from 1948 unopened and uh, that's true. Do you need to get to try it? Yeah, a little airplane bottle. Yeah. And open this and try this and create this blend, um, our American whiskey, to recreate what it was by taste. So you actually opened this bottle? Yes. Holy cow. Yeah. I'd be so. Ah! Yeah. And so, yeah. It was, so we, we did that to recreate that whiskey. Then we also offer a rye and a bourbon. But at the time, what I was looking to do with that was again to say, like, okay, how do I do something different in the whiskey space? Kind of like we try to do with gin, with blue coat. And the idea was on Kinsey to say, let's take a page out of European whiskeys. So often you see European whiskeys, it's multiple mash bills, multiple blend of column and pot distilled, like all of those things. You hear that lingo in Scotch whiskey all day long. In American whiskey, we talk about it as if it's like a varietal wine. Oh, it's this and it has this much in it, boom, right? And so the idea with Kinsey was to say, hey, look, let's create a depth of flavor and bring together various mash bills, various sources, and to show like what art can be done in blending and bringing those things together in that type of fashion you normally only find in European whiskeys. So that's what we do under the Kinsey brand. Then under New Liberty, under New Liberty, um, we try to do things that are like classic yet left of center. So for example, one of our malt whiskeys, our Dutch malt, you know, 100% malted barley. But the barley we used is kilned and malted to be a, a Vienna style. So it's what you would what find. Does so, that's what, I'm saying. Yeah. what does Vienna style yeah. mean? So that's like what you would find used in an Oktoberfest style beer. You think oh. about that reddish beer you have in the yeah. fall, like Sam Adams has one, every brewery's got one. But when you take that malt and you distill it off, you end up getting these notes of dark chocolate and coffee, intense elements of them in the whiskey. So that's our single malt. Oh, that's you know, cool. our bourbon we do, we use a, an heirloom variety of corn called Bloody Butcher. We get from a farm just outside in Bucks County. You know, it's lower yielding than a Yellow Dent and a Pioneer Monsanto variety. It's non-hybridized, um, has a higher fat and oil, but contributes this intense fruitiness to the whiskey. So like each one of them has something that we're trying to do of like a little bit different. Our Millstone Rye Whiskey, 100% rye blend of malted and unmalted rye but then like the wood we use is actually kind of a bit more tame relaxed and seasoned so you're still getting those nice toffee notes that you would assume you're going to get out of a whiskey but a little less of that like wood tannin chewy note gotcha yeah the wood is closer to what you would find used to make uh, a wine barrel rather than a whiskey barrel Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, so it's a way of just saying, like, okay, here's a classic methodology, 
and let's put an interesting twist on it. So let me ask you this: when you when you and this will show you how little I know. Oh, I think that yeah, I think we're at the bottom of our glasses, Gina. You're gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll get that barkeep. Okay, I'm doing my job. Okay. So, so wait, yeah. Gina, you know how you appreciate this? Sometimes I always feel like so low rent because whenever I'm at the bottom of my glass, I think of a quote from the movie Major League. What is it? Is that crying in baseball? No, 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 no. Come on, that's a league of their own. Oh, sorry. Come on. Come on. So in a major league, the uh, the one uh, old man pitcher, like, you know, sips Joe Boo's rum out of the locker room, and he's coming out of the locker room during batting practice, and he's like, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. That's the line that I think of. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. We need that thing. Wait, I, I feel like you should, like, clip that into the podcast of just that little couple clip from the movie. <laughs> I think that's just... Thanks, Jay. Put that in, yeah. Jay. Got it right there. We fill our drinks. Put that in. Find that clip. Okay. Can we use it if it's less than, like, a few seconds? I think we can. No, that's called copyright, folks. Oh. That's called copyright. Um, so... Tell me, when you talk about building the different blends and these different mashes, does, does that open you up to inconsistencies or variances? How do you control that? I mean, does it, because it sounds like it just, it asks for that in a good way, but then how do you, how would a consumer understand like um, bottle number 100 to bottle number 2000? And you know what, that's also the nice part about when you're doing blending is you can try to mitigate that as much as possible. You know, we also have some things though that we do that are the opposite of that and deliberate to show that we have single barrel editions of our Dutch malt and our Bloody Butcher bourbon. And they're there simply to say, hey, look, here's one single barrel offering of this product um, versus, hey, here's a collection of them that come together and marry together to get a consistent flavor. So yeah, we actually do both. Oh, that's cool. That that's that kind of sets up expectation too, because then as a consumer, then you expect to find something new or something different, and it'll be a different experience. It's not a, a letdown. It's like, oh, I'm expecting that, which is the other part of it. I'd say though too is like, you know, the more you kind of like go out on a limb, the more sometimes it's just a trial. Like some of our things we do as one-offs are, you know what? I don't know who's done this. Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> yeah, that's anything, exciting though. Yeah, that's how you came up with a lot of your products. True. I mean, yeah. I've known you a while, a long time actually, but you've always never been afraid of a challenge or like something strikes you and you just do it. I mean, you have to be part. I mean, like I think about I think about you a lot now because you know this whole movement's happening now where you know everyone's like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ferment this. I'm gonna put a permanency on this. I'm gonna I'm going to control the like the bacteria on this. I'm like, I think about you a lot when I'm doing things that I do because... When she's trying to control bacteria, I think. But I learned a lot from Rob, right? I learned a lot from Rob. Like, you can do whatever you want, but you got to do it safely. You can do whatever you want, but you got to do it the right way. You can do whatever you want, but do not give it to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> because if you kill them, they're going to die. Hello. I think that's what killing someone means. Does it? Because killing them softly just means hurting their soul. Yes, it's just a soul. It's like a, uh, there's a, there's a lot, there's a moment for a Fuji step in. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Queens right? by heart. Queens by heart. <laughs> so anyway, but like what I'm saying is like like I think without realizing what you've done, you've really done a lot. You know, there was a lot of times like we went to like see Rob like distillers, chefs. Yeah. How many chefs have we brought? How many people have we brought to you and like? Oh, well, Rob's been doing this, and Rob's been doing that, and like you talked about trial by error. I mean, he like took like 
things that were spent grains and like, oh, you can make this into food. Oh, okay. Well, you just created a source for like vegans to eat something that shouldn't exist, right? Like that doesn't exist. Like you don't go out to nature and say, okay, you can eat spent grains. Yeah. Right? Like they're going to be like, okay, well, they eat flowers and this and this and this and this, right? Plants, whatever it is. They don't go, oh, I, you distill this and make this into, uh, I don't know, vodka. You can now make this into a, a burger. Yeah. Oh, wait. The one cool thing we did one time, though, was with um, spent herbs and botanicals with the local soap guy. Yeah. It was actually really, really good. I oh, know it sounds cool. like weird, but it was like spent botanicals. It's yeah. like artisan soap guy. Oh, I smelled amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he only did it, made it like one batch he of it. He needs more. Oh, I think she's trying to tell you something. Yeah. No. Don't take it personal. No, we have sweet part up away yeah. in front of a fire, so it's been diffused. Yeah, but actually, G- Gina, like you'll appreciate this. So some of the randomness that I recently did was um, my uh, distiller I work with, Dave. He was coming back from his house in Ohio, and he was like, he tripped over somebody. He's getting in the drive. I'm like, dude, what did you just? What was that noise? Like, I, oh, yeah, I tripped over one of these, you know, black walnut green things in the driveway, and I was like, dude, you. Sh- Go back in, the, in your house, get a garbage bag, fill them up, and bring them home. So we made no chino out of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the, here's the funniest part. Everyone's like, oh, you know, did you use like a local farmer, a local thing? I was like, no. Nah, they were in Dave's family's yard, and we brought them back. <laughs> black walnut is the best. And you know what the best part about it is? Black walnut has the best fungus that actually exists. And people don't even realize that, like, little fuzzy layer that's on the outside of the walnut is actually its own indigenous personal fungus that grows on that that actually gave me lent to other things and like i i wish that i knew somebody named rob that could take that fungus and culture and like culture it so you can use it on like citrus because that would be cool gina's been geeking out about um fungus as of late mold bacteria i haven't noticed yeah Don't you mean? Don't you mean China? You got it from China. Gina from China. Like a hundred thousand people are listening to that. No idea what that means. Uh, Can we guys? I was like, what is that? You probably know this because clearly this is gonna get personal. Okay, so let's bring it back. Yes. Um, So, what do you have? (laughs) Back that shit up. So, what do you have? Um, coming what would people look for you know what I mean uh, let's see we just came out of our millstone ride now our thing is a series of different one-off experiments we're starting to come out with more and more um, like the Nocino I mentioned um, we have a, a blackberry cordial product we did um, have a, a triple sec uh, of vermouth two vermouths next year um, but all things that are you know just trying something new but like I mean, like Gina, like vermouth, right? Like, how many do you see on the market? I mean, you some. But I mean, many. yeah, not many. But yeah. that's not the point. The ones that come out that have been made forever, delish. Yeah, they're right? great products. And then you get the new, the nuanced products, and they're they're like hit or miss. But here's what nobody understands about vermouth in Jen. Vermouth is special. So when you try to treat vermouth like vermouth is not special and you throw a bunch of crap in there, like, it's done. It's not. Because if someone started making vermouth in, like, 1600s, 1700s, really, it's the same fucking recipe that, like, showed up in your bar 
in 2000 and whenever you started bartending and you're trying now to like compete with it you need to realize how special that is what went into that how many times did they change it how many times did they evolve it based on the fact that the ingredients came and went things don't exist that existed then yeah you know like I love vermouth I love Amaris I love apertis I love all of it but like our environment our indigenous environment doesn't lend itself to what we classify as a, a French or Italian or Austrian or, yeah. or German. So, like, finding something I think that would be just for the United States would be amazing. Yeah. But, like, who's done it? And you have Vaya, right? We can go about Vaya in California. Great. Right? And you have Vaya Vermouth, and it's pretty good. Yeah. You know? Some seasons it's sweeter, some seasons it's dirtier. And then some seasons, you know, what else? But here's the thing, like, there's such a big environment for it because where's the pawpaw vermouth? Where's the, where's the, like, the black walnut vermouth from Virginia? Where's the um, soft needle pine from Pennsylvania? Where's those vermouth? They don't exist. Because nobody has the balls to walk into a forest and take it. Because that's what a vermouth was. Prairies and forests. So dig deep, yeah. put on your fucking boots, and make the right thing. And it, it's what about what was available? I mean, I will say though, Gina, one thing I'm doing I'll, in the triple I will, sec. I will forage with you to get a what? better plant. <laughs> okay, I that's true. I will forage with you. You know, the triple sec I'm doing is kind of like interesting. So I'm actually using uh, bergamot orange, okay. right? Um, a little bit of pink grapefruit, and then uh, sweet orange, right? Yeah, so, orange. yeah, so like trying that instead of like, your normal, like, practically simple syrup orange bomb. Like, I'm gonna just try to do something a little different. See how it goes. That's really exciting. Yeah. That's really Next cool. month, I might say, like, can you delete this part of the segment because it turned out like shit, but I'm gonna try it. Wait, you, what, <laughs> you, what I mean, right? I think, I think yeah. trying, I think. I, oh, I ordered this for you. Oh. What I did you order, Gina? What is this? What cocktail is this? I said one whiskey drink that Rob wouldn't be mad at me for. Okay. So the bartender actually made it. But well, then I yes, because we have a slightly ordered, different show today. I ordered this um, jerk. I know. This is my favorite show because I don't have to make anything. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what it's like to be a patron. It's amazing, people. <laughs> there, there aren't many of these. Usually she's, went, you know, she's still slinging. Slinging oh, those cocktails. Yeah, we see the news broadcasts and everything, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, what Does it make you proud? Yes, I love it. Every time I'm like, Same. yeah, if there was a way for me to like double like when I see Gina on like, you know, the DC or Baltimore news, I'm like, all right. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. I feel the same. Good. You know, it's great to see your buddy just like being out there. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. The buddy that maybe could outdrive you in, say, Top Golf. Oh. <laughs> I can't. It was, just, it was a dig. It was a dig. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know what, though? I will remember. There was. One time when Gina and I were at Tales of the Cocktail, and Gina's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to take you guys all to go to this, like, you know, really good, like, you know, fried chicken place. And so we're in the cab or whatever, and you're sitting there, and you're, like, you can practically see the ghetto tumbleweed going down sure. next to the cab next to you. Yep. Because you're like, oh, my God, are we going to be taken and slaughtered? You know, am I going to be on the news tomorrow you never because know of Gina. death? You never know you know? Gina. And we go into this, like, total dive hole-in-the-wall place that... I just, I ate like a horse 
And then I because it could have been your last meal. Oh, and the, yeah, the true. It could have been my last meal. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, of course, in my typical Rob-like fashion, when Gene, everyone else, like, oh, let's go out. And I'm like, man, no, I'm full. I'm gonna go home and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to Elizabeth's in New Orleans, which is probably one of the like honestly a mecca for like any like true yep. New Orleans cuisine. Yep. But more importantly. Rob lies and says he goes home and sleeps, and then he doesn't. He actually goes home, works on legislation, and passes. <laughs> and then in the morning, we're like, "Do you want to get a coffee?" And I like, "Oh, I'm slept trapped because I was working on X, Y, and Z for like Philadelphia, blah, 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 blah." Yeah, that's true. I, I actually that is a guilty thing where I go home and I go, "Oh, you know what? Let me just just send out this one quick email." And you flip it up the laptop, yep. and all of a sudden, it's like three hours it's later. Oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> My eyes are burning. Yeah. You hear your friends drunkenly coming in, and you're just, like, you know, taking your contacts out with your glasses on, like, uh, at the laptop. <laughs> Which I love. The exciting lives we live. We live. Please. I gotta say it. Do it. Please, we have to go. We do have to go. We have to get a train. We have to get on a train. What the F? Such is life. Can we take Rob with us? You're gonna clack quickly. Absolutely. Rob, you wanna come with us? Let's do it. Going to DC. We're gonna wrap it up. I'll go to DC. We're last calling this out tonight. Tonight. Right now. We're getting getting on a train. Wait, wait, actually, hold on. This happened. Now, one time, Gina thought this was like, I was not gonna actually happen, right? Me and my buddy Tommy on like New Year's Eve, just at the last moment, just, I had a bag full of mini bottles. (laughs) And, and no toothbrush. Nothing. Yeah, no toothbrush. Oh my God. Why would I bring a toothbrush? We're <laughs> And literally just like went down to where Gina was bartending at on New Year's Eve. That's awesome. Yep. It's like, hey. Here we are. We're here. Hold on. Flash <laughs> forward. We had the greatest New Year's Eve ever at PS7. Awesome. Yeah. Went out all night. Went back to my house. Everyone crashed. Yeah. yeah. Made bacon and eggs for everybody. And then sent them on their merry little dirty ways with all the girls they might have brought home. Well, wait. we're not, not about that. Wait a second. Actually, wait, wait. See, I remembered That's more true. like the idea of going to sleep, like, no. when the sun was coming up and then waking up and then realizing the next day okay, at your house. Let's, wait, wait. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, I can remember, like, the next day where it was like, oh, wait, it's starting to get dark again. And Tommy and I were like, we should probably take a train home now. It's getting <laughs> dark for the next <laughs> night. No, no, no. Oh, no, we definitely took the train. Right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I can check with Tommy on this All right. Yes. So, I'm dropping the gauntlet. I don't do it often. It's the last call. We're going to wrap this shit up. Okay. Jump on the train. Continue there. All right. All right. Done. That's what we brought back. So, uh, Rob is the head distiller of um, making a Kinsey whiskey, which is... A delicious um, throwback to a traditional whiskey that's made in the United States. Um, just really bright um, and beautiful. So what we're gonna do, uh, since we're back here in D- Washington D.C., we're actually at my friend's new brew pub, uh, Valor, which is uh, located here on 8th Street in um, the district, and they have a new brewmaster. So they have like all these different beers that are available on tap that are made locally. So I took my friend from Philly, my friend from D.C. My friend Louise, we married you all together, and we're gonna make this cocktail. So we're gonna take um, one ounce of Kinsey whiskey, we're gonna pour it into glass, and then we're gonna take, I have a a little lemon syrup that I made, Uh, we're gonna take one ounce of that, and then we're gonna take in there, we're gonna put um, 
about a half an ounce of lemon juice. So you're making this uh, right in the glass then? Right in the glass, because we're gonna actually make this as a beer cocktail. So uh, we wanna make sure that we like highlight what goes on here and what's highlights what goes on with Rob. And then later we'll just do shots of it. And then I'll tell everybody I was sober for 2019. <laughs> Lies as usual. I have never done the January cleanse. So on my grave, please put that. Yeah. She has never done the January cleanse, okay? I'm okay with that. So now we're gonna take it. We have all of the um, lemon juice, the syrup, the Kinsey whiskey. We're filling it up with ice. Um, and you wanna, when you're making a beer cocktail, one thing you want to do is always make sure that you fill the glass all the way top with ice before you put the beer in because what's going to happen is, is you're going to have um, the carbonation all exhausted before you actually even taste the drink. Gotcha. Cool? Yep. All right. So now we're going to use their IPA that they made, which is um, it's like their version of a local IPA. Uh, it's really nice. Uh, the brewmaster, uh, Greg, he's really great. He's you know um, not new to uh, making beer, but new to Valor, and Valor is a veteran owned uh, brew pub so you know that's sometimes like to drink what no so the or not all oh, wait i like to do a disclaimer not all military likes to drink <laughs> just the best <laughs> <laughs> um so with the ipa that you're using theirs and obviously not all of our listeners are going to have the opportunity to get that ipa what would you look for what, um, when you're doing a little this? sticky you want something a little sticky a little piney like that like good hop uh, flavor nothing overcooked like a 90 minute hop would be a little too much you want to do something in like the uh, a lighter range, you know, um, good, you know, normal 60 minute or less would be good. Gotcha. And then we're going to just top this off with a little bit of, um, actually, you know what, it's so pretty, we're not going to give it a topping. What? No you're, garnish. You're crazy. Going naked in the new year. Naked in 2019. Look at you. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get on the treadmill and then I'm going to go naked in the new year. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So close to the excess of the holiday. You're very brave. <laughs> All right, you want to try right. it? It looks beautiful. One of my new favorite things, Louise, is that you cannot serve a straw in the district unless it's, um, you know, made out of uh, bamboo or wood something or composed, sustainable. Or something yeah, sustainable or a plastic. And we fought so long to get this. So I'm like, every city, please follow suit. Yep. You do not need plastic straws. They will kill everything in the future and they're terrible yeah this this is really delicious you know maybe this will be, allow me to drink ipas with dave now yeah 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 forget that you don't love beer yeah but this is this is really lovely i, I like the um the balance of it it's really nice and it's beautiful this would be great like not warm days but i mean the whiskey kind of makes it like see like all year i mean i feel like the beer makes it feel like you're not drinking a cocktail but you're drinking a cocktail does that make sense did I mention no. that after you put the beer in there, you want to give it a little stir? Yeah. Just like a little, like once around, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, do I miss the straws? I do miss the straws, but, you know, what are you going to do? Just drink it and be happy. That's right. Nice. So uh, if you um, missed anything of what Gina had, any of her tips or tricks, don't worry. Just head on over to designateddrinker.show. That's designateddrinker.show. Oh, show. Um, and then let's also be honest here. We really need to start doing this, Gina. We need, you know, we like that people like to listen to us, but we also want to hear from them. So uh, if you enjoy the boozy banter and you like Gina's amazing recipes, then we really want you to subscribe, download, and review. Um, we really do really honestly want to hear what you think about the show. Maybe you have a great show idea or you want to be the next designated drinker or, you know, maybe you want to be a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. sponsor. 
I mean, yeah. we could. Uh, or you just might have cereal, cereal with us. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but, uh, I think we should do that in the New Year, Louise. We should have next guest. Who wants to have cereal with us? Yes. And like hang out. <laughs> I don't know. Let's so, do it. Let's well, turn cereal we, into beer. Are we going to do Lucky Charms then? I mean, yeah. What, okay. Yeah. Or token. I, yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of like a feeling I'm a Fruit Loop myself, but I'm over that. I, Fruit Loop. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who would think? <laughs> so healthy anyway, in 2019. I'm, anyway, I'm going to shut up now. So. All right. Anyway, we support. We uh, truly appreciate your support and listening. And again, love to hear from you. All right, Gina. All right. Let's sit down and have another cocktail. Duh. Sure. <laughs>